My name is Rick. I'm the campus pastor here at Hope, and we're glad that you're here with us. And so I recently read an article. Uh, I found it on a website. It was called Bringing Back the Sunday Dinner. And uh, it's actually a few years old. The article is about 10 years old. It was written in 2007. And, but the author was remembering the day when families would get together for Sunday dinner. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you may remember that Sundays were a day for Sunday dinner. And the article was talking about how our weekends have become so full that we're constantly busy and doing things, and Saturdays have be, become uh, filled with uh, work and, and other uh, um, expectations and obligations. And so now Sunday has become the new Saturday, he was suggesting. And then he said, and we don't have a day for family dinner. And so he was remembering longingly of the time when families would get together and they would, and it wasn't about the quality of the food, he suggests, but the quantity of food, that there always had to be food around and that family would get together and uncles that you hadn't seen since the previous week would show up and you would learn from each other and you would, you would, the family would encourage each other and there would be stories told and updates given and family values were created during during this time and family values were practiced and the culture was celebrated the family culture was celebrated during during Sunday dinner and so as I was thinking about that I was reminded of Mother's Day this last year we have Kelly and I my wife have three adult children they're really not all adults but Jordan is 17 and she believes she's an adult she kind of thinks that we're kind of just in the way of her living her life and so I'm just going to say that we have three adult children Jordan was up here singing just a few minutes ago and uh, she believes she really doesn't need us anymore uh, except that she does uh, so we have three adult children, and what was once common, having everybody in the house, is now not the case. They're, they're, they have schedules, they have obligations themselves, and they're out all the time. Now, for those of you who have little ones and you think that's, that day is never going to come, it comes really fast. And I feel so old saying that, but it comes really fast, and you're wondering where is everybody? How come they never come visit? No, that's not the, it's really not like that at all. But, uh, but, but yet having everybody together is definitely less common. And so for Mother's Day, we had everyone together because everyone came to see mom. And we went to a really fun place together and we ordered pizza and we played cards and we played Bananagrams. That's a courthouse game. My last name is Court, and so we're the courthouse. And so that's a courthouse game is Bananagrams, right? It's like the Scrabble tiles, and everyone gets their own bunch of tiles. If you don't have, it comes in a banana. If you don't have Bananagrams, you got to get Bananagrams. We like Bananagrams so much, and we have, our family is expanding as boyfriends and girlfriends are getting involved, that we had to buy two bananas, and we mix them together. So we have a really big Bananagrams game. And... We love it. Uh, but what we love about it is we love being together. It's fun. We talk. We laugh. And we enjoy being together. The courthouse has fun together. And I have fun when I'm with the courthouse. And we are learning from each other. And we're encouraging each other. And family values are being created just like Sunday dinner like I talked about a few minutes ago. And the courthouse culture is celebrated whenever the courthouse is together. 
Now, in a few weeks, we're going on family vacation, and my family vacation this year, or our family vacation this year, is, uh, is uh, going to be with our extended families. And so it's going to be aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents, and we'll all be together. And when we're together, it's a very simple vacation. It's a house near a beach, and we will just be together. And it'll be some of the same things. We'll bring bananagrams, and we'll have cards. And we'll have fun together, and we'll talk together, and we'll share stories with each other, and we'll just enjoy being together. And the whole time, unknowingly even, it just kind of happens, is that our family values are created and practiced, and our culture, our family culture, is celebrated when we're together. So we're in a series that we're calling Worship Plus Two. Worship Plus Two. And the reason it's called that is there's three commitments that we're suggesting as members of Hope, as people part of this community, we need to have. We need a a commitment to worship, a commitment to growth, and a commitment to service. So it's Worship Plus Two. That your Sunday morning uh, opportunity, obligation, expectation is that you'd be here because when you're not here, we miss you. And when you're not here, you miss out. And so it's worship plus two. It's worship plus growth plus service. And if you've been around for any amount of time here, you know that there's going to be a favorite story that is told and it's from Acts chapter two. It's the birth of the church story. And the reason that Pastor Jeff and I like this story so much, it's kind of like it's kind of like sharing pictures of your kids when they're growing up. You know, you just want to talk about that. And so I've shared uh, Acts chapter two last week when I was in Voorhees and the week before when I was here with you folks. And so I want to share it again. It's going to be up on the screen. And uh, I just want to read these verses from Acts chapter 2. It's kind of the base text for this series that we're in. So it says, all the believers devoted themselves. And then, and then Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us what they were devoted to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That's what their devotion was to, those four simple things, teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, and prayer. Verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. Uh, everything they, had. they sold their property and possessions, and they shared, there's that word again, the money with those in need. So far, Luke has said the word shared three times. And this is a place that's filled with divine activity. There's awe and miraculous signs. Verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And so it's this place that's filled with some very human and earthy and tangible activities like sharing meals together and being together. And it's also a place filled with divine activity. There's this constant play that Luke does between the divine and the human. And when we gather together in worship, there's this opportunity for the created 
and the Creator to be together. I love this space just because on Sunday mornings when we first show up at 8.30, or I get here about 8.40, but around 8.30 when the people in charge show up, uh, the first thing we notice is that this doesn't look anything like it looks like right now. There's tables and chairs set up from different organizations and, and, and different things. And then between 8.30 and 9.30, this room takes a, a, a dramatic change and shift, and the, and the platform is brought in, and the pipe and drape is set up, and all the chairs are laid out. And we turn this into a worship space. And all of that is very practical human effort. But at the same time that that's taking place, I believe that there's a presence that is being brought into this space as well. That this is about the divine and the human engaging and connecting together. About the infinite and the finite. About the tangible and the intangible. And it says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That God was adding people. Now, as we've been launching this campus for about a year and a half now, um, before that, I knew zero about marketing. Since then, I've learned a little bit. I know a little bit more than zero. I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a little bit more than zero. And there is a difference between marketing and invitation, I'm discovering. That marketing is a really good way to get your name out there, right? To brand yourself and let people know that, hey, there's a new church in town kind of thing. But there's something else to going up to a friend and saying, you should be a part of this thing that I'm a part of. It's made a dramatic difference in my life. And I think it could make a difference in your life. I think you should just come and just meet these people. And so it seems that God was involved in adding people to their number. And so there's this divine and human element mixing together, and it's intentional, and it's important. And I believe that's what makes us the church. This mixing of infinite and the finite, this mixing of the creator and the created. See, if we're just an organization and there's no God involved, we're just like the Red Cross or any other service organization, just doing a really good thing. But we believe what makes us different is that when we set up chairs and platforms and pipe and drape and bring everyone into this space, we believe that there's a divine presence here with us and that it's part of the equation and that we're not just singing songs, but we're communicating and talking to the divine. I know that gets really spiritually weird for some of you, <laughs> but that's our reality. So Luke doesn't only mention the church in Acts chapter 2, because, you know, when you show pictures of your kids, you don't just show one picture, you show more than one picture. And so there's another picture that Luke shows of the church. It's in chapter 4, and he says this. Uh, it's uh, going to be up on the screen as well. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Another version says they had one heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they, what's he say again? They shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. 
because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. I don't have enough time to show you again that there's this human and divine element throughout this whole, uh, throughout those uh, sentences right there. But there's this united heart and mind, one heart and one mind. What does one heart and one mind look like? And then I thought, it's our family. The courthouse has one heart and one mind. We as a community of faith can be a place that is one heart and one mind, the same identity, the same connection, the same ethos, the same culture. There's this togetherness and, and unity. And I don't have time to spend too much on the idea of unity, but just to pique your interest, uh, uh, in the fall we have a series where we'll be talking about unity, that unity benefits me and that unity benefits the church and that together makes us more effective and that being together creates culture. That unity within the church isn't something that should be assumed. It should be something that we strive for, something that we uh, seek to have, because presently churches are suffering from a lack of unity over all sorts of issues. Differences of opinions and anger and, and polarized sides. And our world is, is, is a reflection of that as well, is the polarized opinions and when the church can be united, not uniformity and not everyone agreeing, but solidarity, we can shine Jesus' love into the world. Because unity is missing in our world. Interesting, it was something that Jesus prayed about for you and me. Again, it's up on the screen in John chapter 17. This is Jesus praying. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. You ever think that centuries ago, Jesus was praying for us? Little old us in the Mount Laurel Community Center. For all who will ever believe in me through their message. And here's what he prayed for us. I pray that they will all be one. And then he says how they're one. He says, I want them to be one just like this, just as you and I are one. As you, and I, as, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus says this interesting thing about unity here. He says that, he says, he prays that we will be in unity the same way that Jesus and God are one. In other words, relationally, we're going to be united like a father and a son, like brothers and sisters, like family, that we may not agree, but we always love, right? Because in your house, if you have children, you know you don't always agree, right? Right, Walenda family? They're all here. The whole Walenda family's here, huh? <laughs> See, they're happy about that. <laughs> you don't always all agree, do you, Bill? <laughs> but you're still all Walendas, right? You're united, right? And so you may not all agree, but you still have unity. That's relational unity, right? Like a father and son, like brothers and sisters, like family. Jesus was saying, I want that church. I want the church. I want that church in Mount Laurel. The one that's going to meet in the community center to be united the same way we are, Father. 
to be united relationally so close that they feel like family. And when they can do that, the world will believe in their message. And so I think for us this morning, the message for us is the reminder that worship, when we gather, this worship plus two idea reminds us that we're not alone, that there's this interaction between God and there's an interaction with others. So I want to give you a few things you can uh, talk about at, at lunch today. Uh, the first one is this, takeaways. We belong together. We belong together. I don't want, and I don't believe you want, people to know our church is a church because of a building, because we don't have one. We have one in Voorhees. We don't have one. I want people to know that we're a church by the way we live together. Not by our trailer, but by how we relate with each other. I want people who walk through those doors knowing it's a church because of the people within it. And regardless of what they look like and what they're wearing and what gender they identify with or what sin they're struggling with, that none of that matters when they walk through those doors. We want people to feel, feel welcomed and loved. And this is why your involvement in activities and events is so important, because people need to meet you. That's why small groups are so important in the life of the church. Worship plus two, your growth is important, not just for you. It's important for me. It's important for each of us. We need to be with each other. We need to see, uh, people need to see how we share together, that we share our resources and our struggles and our victories. They need, to, they need to see how our hearts and minds are united. We belong together. Second one is this. So worship challenges us, right? We're in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. That's our challenge. We, you and I, are in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. And so we set the culture. That's the second one. We set the culture. Hope has a really good strategy. All right? You've heard me talk about these things. That We have four strategies. Everything we do here has to do with these four things. We either we invite, we connect, we grow, and we serve. And so early on when we adopted those strategies, when we started talking about those things in leadership meetings, we started saying, if something doesn't fit into those categories, that means we're going to stop doing it. And so there are things that we decided we can't do those anymore because it doesn't involve inviting, it doesn't involve connecting people, it doesn't involve growing people, and it doesn't involve serving people, so we'll stop doing those things. It's a really good strategy to just know that the church does. We have to do those four things really well. And if we do those four things, everything will be superb and terrific and God's going to bless and it's going to grow. But here's the other side to that. We set the culture. Peter Drucker famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so every Sunday, we have to decide what kind of culture we want in our church. 
If we are not one heart and one mind, our strategy doesn't matter. If we aren't loving the people that come through the doors, and if we aren't loving the people sitting next to us, if we aren't creating a culture that is filled with grace and peace and love, then our strategy doesn't matter one bit. In 2007, I read a book. Uh, I, I, fell in, uh, I didn't fall in love with the title. I was attracted to the title, and that's what drew me to the book. It's called, I Like Jesus, But Not the Church. This was in 2007, all right? I like Jesus, but not the church. And I have to say, at the time, uh, I, I, I kind of could understand that because there were some churches that I had been a part of that I could say, yeah, I don't like them too much myself. I like Jesus, but not the church. And it was a book about how people were leaving the church because they had very little interest in it, but yet they still seemed attracted to Jesus. And I remember reading that book and saying, you know what, I feel like I could have wrote that. And I decided that I would dedicate the rest of my career to change that thought for the people that I met. See, because I had grown up going to church, and I didn't like it too much. But then I found Jesus, and I found this weird connection that Jesus liked the church. Jesus loved the church. I didn't love the church that Jesus loved. It's like, I think we need to change that. I think I can do something about that. And I, it changed my thinking. How can I make the church something that people would be drawn to? And so our words and our actions shape our culture and our environment. And so what tone do we set when we come into worship? It's easier said than done, right? People need to see and meet us. We set the culture. Third thing is we is greater than me. We is greater than me. So after reading that book in 2007, or as I was reading that book in there, it talked about a lot of men and women who love Jesus. They're, they're Christians, but they're not part of the church. They, they don't participate in church in any way, any shape or form. And so the question then is, can you be a Christian and not be part of the church? Yes, you can. My follow-up would be, why, but why would you want to be? When the church can be, provide so much for us. Growing together in worship, we come to realize that the family of God is bigger than just me. That we can connect with men and women, and we can be in relationship with them, and they can inspire us, and we can inspire them. So I read another article. This one was actually very recent, just in the last year, is by Carrie Newoff. And he talks about how the church across the country and around the world is, uh, is shrinking. That people, fewer and fewer people are going to church. And, and every church, every mainline denomination, every church is experiencing this across the country, that, that church attendance is, is shrinking. Fewer and fewer people are going. And so a lot of people ask, why is that taking place? There's a lot of different reasons for it, and we can go into all those things. But he says that there's, uh, he mentions three types of people who are in a church. He says that there are church, and they all start with a letter C. There are consumers. 
He says there are consumers that go to church. Consumers are the people who come because they like the music, they like the kids' program, they like the location, they like the convenience of the church, they think the pastor's funny, and that's why they come. Uh, or they, they think the church is there to serve them. They're consuming the church. And there's a lot of people in churches that, that consume. And so his argument is that churches are losing in attendance because consumers are not consuming as often as they used to. And his argument is, is that if you're going to always go after consumers, you have to keep doing bigger things. So the pastor has to get funnier, and the music has to get louder, and the lights have to get brighter, and you have to keep making it bigger and bigger if you're going to keep cons having consumers come to your church. So he says consumers are leaving the church. He says this. It's not me saying it. He says, let the consumers leave. And then he says you'll have two groups left. You'll have the contributors. And he says the contributors are those that see the church as an opportunity to connect and an opportunity to serve and that they're willing to share their resources, their time. They're willing to invest their, uh, their financial resources, and they're willing to be part of something that they're contributors. And he says, the contributors are what you build the church on. So when I read that, I went, oh my goodness, Mount Laurel, we are just a whole bunch of contributors. Back in the day, it's all we had. All we have is you folks setting everything up. We didn't have anybody else. It was like every, I, I, we have a campus with 100% contributors. I was like, that's splendid, right? And then he says this. He says, the reason that the church, if it's going to grow, has to ignore the consumer. Forgive me if you might not like that. That might sound offensive. To ignore the consumer, to focus on the contributor, is he said, the curious are coming. And he said, when the curious show up, they're men and women who have been part of a church experience that went bad, or they've never gone to church before, and it's a whole brand new opportunity for them. And when they show up, they're going to need contributors, people who are connected, people who are serving, so that they can help serve them and connect them. When the, curious can turn, when the curious return, we better be ready to greet them. I know for some of you, it's a drive to come to this campus. You drive past our other campus, and you drive past other churches on the way to this campus. And ever since 2007, I have said it, I am willing to be inconvenienced to make it easier for someone else to find a place like this and to discover God's love through Jesus. And so thank you for your efforts because I believe it's what we're supposed to do and it's making a difference in the lives of men and women here. We is greater than me. And the last one, we live in a house. Begin thinking of this place as a home that we live in and a family that we serve. Because everyone contributes in a home, right? Mm. 
Well, for instance, I, I, I was wondering about that one myself, but think about it. Kids make the mess, parents clean it up. Everyone's contributing, <laughs> right? Uh, and then another one I thought of, parents make the money, kids spend the money. So there you go, see? So everyone's contributing, right? But in a family, there are responsibilities that all members of the family have, right? We all have those responsibilities. Whether or not we fulfill those responsibilities, we all have responsibilities. That's how the family works, right? It's a system that, that is working to varying degrees of success. So we live in a house. We need to take ownership of our house and of our responsibility within this family. So that means that worship plus two. We need to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. Will we provide opportunities? Yes. The reason we have those strategies, inviting and connecting and growing and serving, is we want to provide opportunities, but you need to take responsibility for that. So that's why we want everyone to be part of small groups. We must connect people, not find volunteers or helpers. Remember, our job is not just to find someone to do a job, but to connect people to this place. Expanding our influence and expanding our unity. Our Sunday gathering is about more than getting together with friends, but it's about an engagement with the divine. We believe this place can be filled with divine activity and that it is also filled with some very human, earthy, tangible activities. That that's what worship is. It's this mixture of the divine and the human. And there's this union between God and humanity. And because of that union together, we can be united in heart and mind. And our time together on Sunday challenges us to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. We are in the process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others. We belong together. You'll be encouraged in your walk with God here. Together we set the culture. Together we live in a house and we're connecting and contributing to each other. Next week we'll be talking about for the sake of others, that we are not alone. It's about God and others. And together we are challenged to grow our relationship with others inside and outside of this space. So let me pray for us. And I think the band's coming up, right? Yeah, the band's coming up. And uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Let's pray together. And so, God, I thank you for the men and women in this room. I thank you, God, for uh, this place that we call hope. And, God, I pray that as we are here, feeling like in some ways we're doing very human things, singing songs, sitting in chairs. But God, we believe that you're present here with us as well. And there's divine activity that's taking place as well. And there's engagement between the infinite and the finite, the creator and the created. And God, we believe this place is important and we believe that this church meeting in a community center is important because there are men and women and boys and girls who need to discover the great love that you have for them. And so God, I pray that you would make us one heart and one mind. And that the world would see the way we're living life and they would want to be a part of it as well. 
So God, I thank you for the people who have come through the doors in the time that we have been meeting in Mount Laurel. For those that have gotten connected and have become part of this faith community. And God, I pray that our culture would be infectious. And that our love would be evident. And that, God, we would be a place where you are lifted up and honored and where we can share everything in common, God, where we share our hurts and we share our victories. God, that we take responsibility for our place in this home. That we're learning to grow. That we're finding a way to get connected. That we're providing ways for people to be connected. And God, we thank you. Thank you for the work you're doing in our lives as individuals and as a community. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.